Hi everybody, this is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles Stories of the Supernatural. And I hope you enjoy this new show, whether you're viewing it on the internet or listening to a podcast version of the episode. I do want to thank you for being part of my audience. You can also find links to videos or podcasts on MiamiGhostChronicles.com as well as where you can submit your story about any eerie experiences you've had which I would love to hear about. Just go to the Submit Your Story tab. Please subscribe to our channel so that you receive notification of when we release a new show. And find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. This is where I usually live stream and where I give you a behind-the-scenes look at locations where new episodes are being filmed at. I also tell you about all the interesting guests that will be appearing soon on Stories of the Supernatural. I hope you enjoy the show, and I think you are all wonderful. Hi everybody, it's Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles Stories of the Supernatural. How's everybody doing? Good, I hope. I'm doing good. Yes. Um, You all saw me, my last show that I held up my latest addition to the dog family, right? Well, I know people have been asking me for an update, so I'm going to give a quick one, just a quick one. Here he is. There he is. Yes. His eyes are still closed. So, and I've got a few names I'm thinking about, but I haven't come up with an official one. Right now, I just call him like Tarzan Boy. That's it. Very original, but what, what can I say? But anyway, I'm super, super excited because of the guest I have. Uh, this gentleman's name is Stephen Lancaster, okay? And of course, uh, he's, he's involved in the paranormal. As a matter of fact, he's a researcher, and he has been investigating ghosts since 1997, okay? Just like moi, since the 90s, even though before that, but... Uh, and he is the producer of Monster Vision TV. Uh, he's an independent paranormal investigation, which is an inv- in paranormal investigation program with nearly 2 million views worldwide. In 2007, he formed PIT, P-I-T, I love that, Paranormal Investigation Team. And uh, now he's been interviewed on hundreds of radio shows. And also, he, uh, he's also appeared on A&E's uh, My Ghost Story. All right, now we were talking about this briefly before we started going, that in 2018, he's going to deliver his latest novel, titled Norman, the doll that had to be locked away. And at some point, I'm going to have to ask him about that because, believe me, you're going to see um, you're, you're going to see a cover of that book on there. But like all things, you know, I know there's people out there going, oh, no, it's the doll thing. <laughs> but anyway, OK, guys, today, how are you doing, Stephen? How, how are you doing today? Ma'am, I am fantastic. Thank you for having me on your show. Absolutely. It is my pleasure. My pleasure, totally. Uh, And Steve, I'm going to ask you what I ask all my guests, which is, how did you become involved in the paranormal? Absolutely. Now you're an adult. uh, But how did that start for you? Was it something that happened to you as a child? As a matter of fact, it was. And uh, up until recently, there was only one place you could read that story, and that was in my first book, you know, the origin story, you know, um, the prequel, so they say. Uh, But recently I um, 
wrote a uh, kind of a little bit. I helped this other author out, and she wanted to. She was writing a book on um, the spirits of Christmas. You know, the haunted stories you don't really ever hear around the holidays. Right. Okay. And and she asked me to help her with that, and she wanted to use my origin story because my origin story was kind of similar to that. And basically, what happened to date myself here. Go right um, ahead. <laughs> In, in 1987, I was 10 years old, and uh, I slept in bunk beds with my brother. I was on the top bunk, and he was on the bunk below. There, were the, there was a five years difference between us. Um, he was five, I was 10. And I woke up in the middle of the night um, with something tugging on my ankles. Okay. Now, at first, I, I thought it was just him. You know, just goofing around like brothers do, you know. Right. So I, I leaned over, I looked down, and he was fast asleep. I was like, ah, oh, there's no way he can move that fast, you know. So I, I dozed back off, and I felt it again. Well, this time I sat up. And as I'm sitting up, something grabbed both of my wrists. And they grabbed it with, they grabbed my wrist with such force, you could actually see the indentation in my skin. Oh. But there was nothing there. And I tried to pull and pull and pull away, but it just kept trying to pull me kind of towards the bottom of the bed. And eventually it pulled with such force, it flipped me to, to where I was to the point where I was facing the bottom of the bed and I was now lying on my stomach. So oh my I God. sat back up, it grabbed me again. And meanwhile, the whole time this is going on, I'm trying to scream for my parents. You know, I was a 10-year-old kid, but I couldn't get anything out. It was like... Everything was just muted. You know, it's like I didn't have the power or the energy to say anything or speak. And I finally broke free and I was pulling with such force that I flew back across the bed and my head hit that 80s wood paneling, oh my uh, you God. know, that, that we had on our walls and actually put a dent in the wall. And at that point, I was able to scream for my parents and they, they of course, jump out of bed. They come running in the room, flip the light on. And at 10 years old, they dismiss it as a nightmare. You were just dreaming. It was just a bad dream, Stephen. And that was not the case. Well, I grew up in a very uh, strict military Christian home. Okay. So you didn't talk about these kind of things. You know, the, the paranormal, the supernatural, that was taboo. It was the Bible or nothing. Which okay. is kind of ironic if you think about it, <laughs> because, you know, oh. the Bible's probably the most paranormal book ever written. Yeah, it does uh, when, have a lot of references to when, stuff in there. You know, when you break it down. So, for 10 years, from 1987 to 1997, I spent a lot of time at libraries. I would check out books. I would sneak them into the house, uh, you know, on the occult, on uh, parapsychology, on cryptozoology. Um, just anything I could find to try to find an answer, you know, to what happened to me and why did that happen to me? Exactly. And in 97, I finally, word got around in my small town in Maryland, that's where I grew up, mm -hmm. that, that I was the ghost guy. I was the guy that knew all this stuff. So I started taking cases for people. Okay. And it, it, it just kind of, you know, it exploded from there. And basically just started on me trying to find an answer as to why that happened. And, and to, to wrap this story up real quick for you, um, I would say seven or eight years ago, because um, obviously I live in the South now, but uh, my family came down for Thanksgiving. Okay. And we, we were at Thanksgiving dinner, and 
my parents, you know, they were saying how proud they were that I've become an author now, you know, I had three novels out at that point, and, you know, they really started talking the paranormal with me, which was completely out of character. You know, okay. this was the, the family I grew up with where you didn't talk about that uh -huh. stuff. And that's when my mom laid it on me. She said, you know, Stephen, when you were a kid and you had what happened happen, we never told you, but when I was 10 years old, the same exact thing happened to me. Oh, my God. And it, it just gave me chills just telling you that right now because it, it blew my mind. And then, then mom and dad start sharing these stories, and they said they just didn't want to tell me that stuff as a kid because they didn't want it to spook me or uh, look how I turned out anyway. You know, <laughs> It was kind of my response. Well, because of that, I ended up you like know, this. <laughs> right, but you know, to find out the same thing had happened to my mother at the same age, um, was pretty. Uh, it, it, it added some validity, you know, to what happened. It, it told me that okay, it wasn't a nightmare, and I didn't start this journey for nothing, you know. And I have to ask you: this happened only once. It was only one occurrence that was that that happened. The, there were more than than just that uh, in that house. Um, okay. We and the in the first book I wrote, it's really basically the beginnings of what I have now become. But um, you know, the first couple cases, you know, the story I just told, and and some other parts of what happened in that house. And we later found out that um, tragically, uh, I found out from a neighbor that the previous owner of that house had hanged himself in the attic. Oh. Now there was another instance where I had, uh, at this point we had split up rooms, you know, I was getting mm -hmm. too old to be sharing a, a room with my brother. And so I had my own room and I, I woke up in the middle of the night to a baby crying, which I, I could never figure out why. Wow. And walked, I had a, a drum set in my room and I get up out of bed and I walk over to this drum set and I see a baby laying there and I'll be dead honest with you. I turned right around and just went back to bed. <laughs> okay. I didn't even think twice about it. And then the third occurrence, the final occurrence before, before we moved from that house, um, my brother and I were outside. We were playing with uh, our neighbors, you know, playing G.I. Joe or something. Who knows? But we, we were out back, and my brother, who is a complete and total non-believer still to this day, I'm the Ghostbuster. He jokes around all the time. You know, he says, he yells at me that somebody was looking out his bedroom window, which was formerly both of our bedroom, you know, and he, wow. and as, as I look up, the window breaks. Holy crap. <laughs> so I, I grab a baseball bat and I run into the house because mom and dad are at work and I'm thinking, okay, I'm the guy that's in charge. And I run up the steps and okay. into my brother's bedroom. And sure enough, the window is shattered, but it, there wasn't a shard of glass inside. It was all outside laying on the roof. And, you know, dad got home, and how do you explain this to him? It's like, <laughs> and, it wasn't well, me, you know, yeah, like the and, typical which kid of course, thing. We got the blame for it. Oh, you know, we shot it with a BB gun, and I'm trying to say, you know, all the glass is on the outside, dad. You know, if we had shot from the outside, it would be on the inside. Uh, but shortly after that, we moved away, and I would love an opportunity now, to go back. you know, 30-some years later, to go back and uh, investigate that house. And the house was up for sale last year. And I really? contacted the real estate agent just out of curiosity. 
and we talked back and forth and she already knew who I was and she didn't want anything to do it. She said, please do not tell anybody that this is the house. I'm trying to sell it. And, oh, you know, and I'm telling her, well, you probably should tell her, you know, because they're going to find things that they probably don't want to. Wow. That is such a great story. But you know what? You're not the first one I've heard of, Stephen, that has that childhood experience. And then the parents and an effort to do exactly what your parents wanted to do, which was to make you feel safe. It's like they poo-poo it like it's just your imagination. It's a bad dream. And it's like, come on, as a child, even as a child, you know, when something is like this was not a dream yeah, or this was not a nightmare. And, well, I think uh, a lot of it. Well, you, you're right, you know, because a lot of the people I've met over the years, everybody has an origin story. There's mm-hmm. either a noble reason you're in this field, you know, like, exactly. you know, because something happened to you or it's just. Like the wannabe rock stars that saw it on TV and they think right. it's cool and they go out and do it. And, you know, I think I think in my father's case, um, he retired a couple years ago. He was a literal rocket scientist. Okay. Try living up to that, okay? Yeah. And I think, you know, he he's the guy who designed the engine for the Patriot missile, if that tells wow. you anything. Okay, so he's... Uh, during he's... Desert Storm. He's all about the mathematics, or in other words, yes, yes. the and tangible stuff. I think it was like, you know what? I don't need anybody knowing my kids out there uh, <laughs> in some other dimension <laughs> you know, <laughs> looking for these things. But now, he, now, like I said, it's it's like a complete 180. They are so open to it, and they talk about it all the time now, and it's, it's, it's great. Well, yeah. Again, you're not the first one. That same thing I've heard. Every you know, things happen. Everybody doesn't talk about it. The parents, you know, uh, let's not talk about that. Your imagination, bad nightmare. Fast forward 20 years, nobody in the house. Same thing. Every the family gets together, and then all of a sudden, everybody comes forward and admits to their experiences. And it was like, you're kidding. Why didn't you tell me? You know, everybody had these experiences on and off. But it takes like 20 years and to be out of that house for everybody to actually talk about it. Even though, you know, even though you think, well, it's the house. But then you're telling me that your mom had the same experience when she was the same age. And I take it, what, she lived in a different house or was it the same house? It was a different house. It was a different house. But it was a very similar situation. And and just to touch base on what you said um, about people waiting to come out about it. Uh, just just look at our society, really. Yeah. Uh, you know, back in the 80s and 90s, talking about this stuff was kind of taboo. Oh, yes. You know, you know if you talked about, hey, I, my house is haunted, I saw a ghost, people thought you were crazy. Yes. And then, you know, then it hit the 2000s and it, it became all the rage. And then everybody wanted to tell their ghost story. And right. it's not just the paranormal, it's everything. You know, 30 mm-hmm. years ago... <laughs> You couldn't get away with saying certain words on television. Oh, no. Now you can get away with saying just about anything, you know. So it's I, How I much less. Were you gonna that. Were you gonna televise what was going on in your personal life, and now everybody wants to be a TV reality, you know, reality TV star? Yeah, okay. So right. you want to come in and watch everything I do? Okay. <laughs> but and yes. the funny part about it, and a lot of people really don't think about it, but the funny part about all of it is, since fifty seven, fifty eight, nineteen fifty seven, fifty eight. There has always been some form of paranormal programming from One Step Beyond yes. to The Twilight Zone to even yes. Scooby-Doo. 
You yes, know, Scooby Doo, exactly. they were paranormal investigators to unsolved mysteries, you know. There were there is all every generation has had paranormal programming. Right. But it's always been because I mean, like yourself, I had always been interested when but when I was growing up it was Hans Holzer and you know, they had a couple of shows and of course Scooby Doo, that was but it was always like again, it was like, Oh, it's a kids show. And like I say, people don't realize that back in the 90s, there was no digital camera or all these all this equipment that you got now. As right. far as, you know, it was much more basic. Uh, and even if you were using a camera, you know how much money you would end up spending on developing pictures sometimes of nothing? <laughs> because there was no digital option where you could discard what wasn't any good. Or, you know, a lot of the thermal cameras and stuff, some of the stuff that they use nowadays. Well, um, now that you mention that, if you think about it and, and you look back through history, you know, at one point in time in the United States, you could actually get a degree as a parapsychologist. I did not you know. know that. Now, now it's kind of a joke, but. Well, that's um, right. Yeah, you could. You could. But it was like. Um, and it's really funny because sometimes it were, it, even though you could get it, I believe it was also very restrictive as far as if you ever had to wanted to produce any type of result it had to be not concrete it had to be beyond concrete it was like <laughs> super uber duba maker you know they were held to a higher standard as far as parapsychology was concerned well not prove. only that but in the grand scheme of things they have if, if we were to compare you know we say yeah now we've got all the bells and whistles we have more tools to use but we also have more tools that are easier to manipulate oh yes we do you know yes. back then they were using reel to reel an actual film an actual tape you know that you could you could tell you, it was a lot harder to edit you know you couldn't really fake anything no you no, know now you with the digital stuff yeah you know you throw a video up on youtube and you know it's real you know you were there you know you filmed it but Yes. That was one thing I always disagreed with. Um, I watched like the first two seasons of Ghost Hunters, and I, I remember the one guy, um, the bald guy, saying, mm -hmm. "If you can, if you can reproduce it, it's not paranormal. If you can recreate it, but it's not paranormal." That's not fair, well, though. It's not because there isn't anything today that a fourteen-year-old with their cell phone yeah. could not recreate. Exactly. So it's, it's tough, and that's what makes the paranormal field tough to really get uh, substance behind it and support behind it and grant money and, and that kind of, I'm very exactly. lucky, you know, in 2012, I, I, I started to get cataloged in the government classification mm -hmm. stuff, and, and that's a big deal, you yes. know. So that tells me that they know that there's stuff out there. Of course. I, I And again, I know that. A lot of what's in this field is very difficult to quantify. You can't mm -hmm. reproduce it at will. You know, you can't sometimes put in under, let's say, laboratory control circumstances and produce the results. It's just, and that's why, you know, the science, some scientists are like, nah, you know, or, but again, just because it can't be done doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And I think a lot of it is shifting also with a certain discoveries in physics as mm -hmm. far as, um, either parallel dimensions or in other words there's more absolutely more than what just we, we can perceive with our senses with our five senses that is well you're touching base on a pet peeve of mine and and what that is and i really really grow tiresome of hearing it is 
we base everything on our own science. Yes. You know, they, they say, oh, there's no possible way there could be life on such and such a planet right. because there isn't air and there isn't water. Well, what's to say there isn't a life form that doesn't require those things? Exactly. You know, and, and they pull the same thing with the paranormal. Well, that's not physically possible because this, that, and the other thing. Mm -hmm. Well, we're basing everything off of our Earth, off of the Earth science. There's a whole science out we haven't even began to write. You know, I, it, it's, it baffles me that actual scientists say these things exactly. because that's arrogant. That's saying that everything in our vast universe, which we don't even know has an ending, is based off of what is Earth and what we know we have to eat, exactly. we have to drink water, we have to breathe air. Why, why are we to assume that everything has to be that way? Exactly. And just because you can't prove it under the circumstances, let's say, that science dictates, does not mean that it doesn't exist. Yeah, as right. far as, again... And, but I think a lot, a little bit of that is shifting, I think, because, uh, for, ex for example, let's say in the medical field, that they're studying more and more about near-death experiences, you know, and they've been able to basically measure it and think, you know, mm -hmm. there's studies along those lines, which kind of leave at least a question mark as far as that there is something or of, of our self-awareness that, that happens with us be once our bodies are dead. Well, the funny thing is, is our science actually proves life after death, yet they don't acknowledge it. And, and I'll tell you why, because the human body is of a bioelectrical makeup. Right. We all have electricity in our body. That is fact. That is science. There is electricity in our body. Well, as we know, as science has taught us, energy is infinite. Energy does not die. It simply changes form. Exactly. And this is, this is worldwide recognized. That is fact. Energy does not die. So when our human body expires, that electricity, that energy just doesn't turn off because that's not how it works. It doesn't die. It just simply exactly. changes form. Our own science has said that over and over again, yet they refuse to acknowledge the fact that something happens after you die. But it does. Right. Because that energy goes somewhere. And and I, and even the people, sometimes that are hardcore skeptics, they've had what I call that they become situational psychics because something happens, whether it's to them personally or somebody close to them. They, they experience, they either sense, see something, mm -hmm. and maybe, maybe once or twice in their lives that they can't account for, okay? Mm -hmm. And they don't realize that, that sometimes, unfortunately, when the body or, and the mind is put under a certain amount of stress, that's, that, that's exactly what happens, Okay, but again, they don't want to discount it. And there's a lot of people that say, you know, for all the people that, especially now, that come forward and they volunteer stories of either psychic phenomena or ghosts or paranormal events, anything, precognition, there's a whole slew of people that never, ever talk about it. Ever. That's very, very true. And, you know, that reminds me, did you ever see the movie Red Lights? Mm, no. 
Which one I is highly that? Re- I highly recommend it. It, it, it went under the radar. Mm-hmm. It was a it's a paranormal movie, and believe it or not, it has Sigourney Weaver and Robert De Niro in it. And uh, the kid, I call him a kid, but he's probably as old as I am. Um, he was in Red Eye. He was the Scarecrow in the Batman movies. Anyway, uh huh. It, it's it's about this university, Sigourney Weaver and her understudy, this kid, and they are out to disprove. The paranormal oh and psychic God, yes. phenomena. I saw that. I saw that. I just didn't remember and, yeah. by its title. And, and Robert De Niro, he's the hoaxer. He's the guy who's putting on these shows and right. pretending to say people do all. And, and but meanwhile, the entire time, and here's spoilers for the listeners out yes. there. Um, the kid that's the understudy actually has these psychic powers, but he never tells anybody. Yes. And and he's actually working with somebody who's out to disprove it. It it, it was a very interesting right movie. right that in it she attempts you know where they start trying to capture like oh because what basically what they do is they bust these psychics you know like that oh that right. they're being get fed information beforehand right about yep, subjects that's it. yep and yeah I remember that was a very, I just didn't remember the title that was a very interesting um and th- that's another thing sometimes that. As far as, let's say, psychic phenomena or psychic, or but, you know, just like if you know you go to supposedly, let's say, a haunted place, it's not an on-demand thing. You could go sometimes and That's nothing cool. happens, nothing is witnessed, nothing is felt, or in the case of a psychic, where they can't reproduce whatever because it ebbs and flows. You know, human beings are fluid, and things like that are fluid also. Uh, yes, there's some places that you go more often than not, and you get something. But there's times that people go, nothing happens, but that doesn't mean that nothing is there. That's very correct, and I'm glad you said that, because not a lot of people say that. They're, they're too quick to uh, jump the gun, so to speak. And that's what bothers me about the, the reality television shows, yes. is they, they, they make it out like they can go into a home or, or a business or wherever and have it all figured out in one night. But like, <laughs> but like you said, it, it's, it's not on call, and... For people who have followed my books, they understand me very well. Um, the cases that I take, I spend years on. Years okay. on these cases. So when you read a chapter that's about one case, that took years to give you that information. Exactly. You know, because there's nights, you know, some of the most haunted locations I've been in in my life. Mm-hmm. There have been nights where absolutely nothing happened. And yes. there have been nights where the you know, it was off the hook, you know? And so you, you can't, you can't expect to be the client who has lived something for, let's say 20 years in one night. You can't expect in order to be the client, you have to be there as much as possible. Exactly. Exactly. That's why I say, you know what, let's say for example, you know, historical landmark houses, I say the ones that really got good stories really are the docents, the mm-hmm. tour guides, the people that are there continuously that really will tell you the really actual stories. And, you know, and, and, and I know of some activity in certain houses that are cyclical, you know, even if it's intelligent, you know, they, they just go, it just goes underground for a while and then it comes back up and then it dissipates and it comes back up. And then there's others I think it has to do with 
either the people that are there, the, the energy that's being put out. But usually the people that are there, like caretakers or things like that, those are the ones that usually have the really actual, what I call the real stories. Uh, mm-hmm. Whether it's, it doesn't ha- like I said, it doesn't have to be a full body apparition that you're like, oh my God. It's just stuff that after a while they know, oh, it's that thing, whatever it is. Um, and yeah, I totally agree that unfortunately some shows, they want to make it look like that you can step in there, maybe go one, two, three days and one of two things, either it's over-exaggerated what they produce, which is like, wow, that's incredible. What great timing you have. Or the other end of it, which is like, oh, we didn't capture anything. Hmm. We put on all of the cameras and all the gadgets and equipments and we didn't get anything, at least not significant. I guess nothing's here. It's just maybe, if at best, residual. It's like, how would you know? <laughs> you know? Right, right, right. You know, and I'll, I'll give you a good example um, like I said, the the places I investigate and the places I research, it's not a one night stand. You know, right. it's oh, as long as it's welcomed by the client, it's over and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a place in Little River, South Carolina, called the Brentwood Wine Bistro. Okay. That I have researched since 2007, and in yeah, last year, uh, on October 13th of last year, I released a documentary on the Brentwood Wine Bistro that basically marked 10 years of investigating this location. Wow. So it's, it's, it's interesting to watch because yes. you see me in 2007 and then you see kind of years after and um, even some uh, one of my good friends is from Ghost Hunters International and uh, she makes an appearance and, you know, some other people and basically showcases 10 years of researching this one location. That has never, ever been done before because and because these producers, these television shows, they're on a schedule. They have to have their 10 episode season sure. by, you know, this date. You know, this was something we took 10 years worth of data, 10 years worth of video footage you know, interviews, all this stuff, slapped it all yes. together, released it in October, and it just killed it. It just absolutely killed it. People loved it. And it's yeah. really, you know, I'm not trying to gloat. It's just the it's the first of its kind yeah. that shows like, wow, the myself and, and my colleagues worked at this location for 10 years. And we still exactly. do. You know, exactly. this was just... And it's funny because when when we finished uh, the the final production of it, the owner of the place, he's like, you know, after he saw the final cut of it, he's like, let's make it a trilogy. <laughs> I was like, you know, when I'm sixty, bud, I don't. So I really like don't... Harry was like, what, another twenty years? Of this yeah. just the first part. Yeah, I really don't think so. Well, and a lot of times, and. You know, I, one of the things, you know, that, you know, I've talked about is that people don't realize that, you know, some locations are known for certain entities or personalities, whatever you want to call them, whether it's the tragic person or the person that died there, owned it or built it, whatever. I said, but in my experience, sometimes there's a lot of entities or discarnates that are not tied to a location, but they're just as desperate. They want to make communication. These are the ones that are confused, whatever their, their story might be. 
And sometimes, especially when it's a little bit more extended time, I'm not talking about two or three days, sometimes they'll come in to these locations and try to make an appearance or communicate. And the people there will be like, who's that? What is that? You know, like, where did this come from? And it's like, if you think that th that this is just like nobody else from the outside, no discarnates from that are not tied to or part of that uh, location are going to try to come through, I got news for you. Not really, especially uh, if you've got somebody that's sensitive or psychic or they're trying to obtain communication. Because some of them, that's exactly what they've been waiting for. And they come in. So you, in other words, I say for every paranormal investigation, despite what you may know about the history of a location or a, about what people claim that they've seen, you always have to leave the door open that somebody, a new cast is going to come in. A new cast member is going to come in. And um, and a lot of times some of these shows, they'll leave that question. Like, like who was that? I was like, man, that could have been anybody. It, for all you know, this... You know, this might have been somebody maybe that uh, that drifted over, wanted to talk, get known, you know, be acknowledged, but whatever. Uh, or in some cases, I've heard of, you know, you have a a bad accident, for example, down the block. Oh, jeez. Don't say that. At the closest <laughs> intersection. And for some reason, the spirit ends up at a certain place, whether it's because it's got high energy Especially if you're talking a commercial place which has got a lot of human activity coming in forwards, like, and I'm sure you've seen it. Certain places are hotbeds, whether it's hospitals, hotels, uh, with just a lot of human energy coming and going. You're going to have discarnate spirits that are just lost. At, they're still self aware, but they just kind of miss the part about, am I dead? What's going on? Or. If they do realize they're dead, that for some reason they're kind of anchored here, either because of fear or they don't understand what's coming afterwards, or um, in some cases, you know how we, you know how you hear that story about that your, the, you know, the your family comes for you, you know, you die and your the people that love you come for you. Right. But right. Right. What if you're right. What if you're not really thinking you're dead, and grandma comes for you, and you're like, wait a minute, you're dead. I'm not going with you. I'm still alive. Wait. And they kind of miss that that jumping off point. And then they're still like stuck, you know, trying maybe to communicate or have, have somebody tell them, hey, what happened? They just can't understand that you can have that self-awareness and still not have a living human body. Well, I'm going to you, you kind of touched base on something that um when I do lectures and stuff like that, um, I, I speak about at great lengths. Um, now, a lot of what you said, too, uh, I don't like to get into a lot. Um, the whole crossing over, the whole stuff like that, that, you know, we're basing that on religion. Right. Well, I, 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 try, I try not to, and I, I mean no offense to anybody. Uh, I, I, I went to an, a Christian academy growing up, so <laughs> that, that, that's my pass. Uh I, I try not to bring religion into it because mm -hmm. you can't prove it for one, right. and it, it's you automatically go into a bias. But what you said about things popping up in other places, um, I completely agree with my my second novel, uh, Dark Spirits. Right. The entire book um, 
it goes from one case to another case to another case to another case. Each chapter is basically a different case, yet there is a similarity. And I, I believe in what I refer to as spiritual magnetism. Yes. And I'll describe it to you like this. And this is pretty much how I describe it to everybody. When you take a paper clip and you rub it vigorously on a magnet mm-hmm. for a brief amount of time that paper clip becomes magnetized and it can pick up other paper clips and you know i'm not talking about the weekend warriors that go out and investigate or or Mm -hmm. they just doing it for the kicks or whatever i'm talking about people that live paranormal research that's their occupation that's their job like me you know and you and so you really don't have a break from it exactly and what i have seen Many times, and and that's pretty much what Dark Spirits was all about, is when you spend so many nights, so many months, years at a location, uh, you become spiritually magnetized because you are connecting with something we have yet to understand, first off, but you're connecting with that energy. And I've seen it with myself and my colleagues that we would leave said location Mm-hmm. go to our respective homes and the same exact activity would begin to happen at our homes. Yes. And it, and it would go on for a few days and then finally wear off, exactly. you know, and that's where you get into the, the concept of attachments, you know, can things attach? Right. I do think things can attach themselves to you and, and follow you around. And, and when, especially when it's specific things, you know, when you investigate a lot, in, in my case, files are over a thousand at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you see similarities, and let's say something's unique, and and when you're at a location and there's this unique occurrence that happens that you've never seen before, or is very rare, let's just say. Exactly. And then you come home, and that same exact thing happens. What are the chances? Exactly. You know, that's that brief moment that you're making. Because, again, we're electricity. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all... I, really, I think it all boils down to energy and connecting. And I think a lot of that is is the result of deja vu. You know, yes. uh, when you walked... You know, you're walking down the street. Oh, man, I feel like this happened before. You know, did yes. you just walk through somebody's energy that, that actually did happen to them before? You know, I mean, yes. there's... And possession could be the same thing, you know. You you get uh, a certain person's energy gets trapped in you. I, I mean, we could go on about this forever. Well, no, but. you know what? And um, I don't do it anymore. But I, I, you know, I'm a trained hypnotherapist, and I, I dealt. I, I usually I worked in alternative areas of hypnosis, and one of them, besides past life regression, the other things was attachment, spiritual attachments. And, you know, I tell everybody, um, you know, and especially like you pointed out that now it's become a fad of doing, you know, of the, the like you said, the weekend paranormal researcher or in some cases, the legend trippers and things like that. Right. I tell people, you know what, if you have to be really careful because normally like what you described, if your aura is intact, yeah, you might have, like you said, after a few days, it kind of fizzles out or it goes away, kind of like dissipates. But if you are somebody that, and I tell everybody, if you've got a problem, either ranging from mental illness or substance abuse to 
let's say at that moment in your life you're going through something like difficult it happens to everybody you know whether it's like sure. you know physical like you're really run down exhausted maybe you got a lot of things going on or just things i tell everybody you need to stay away from the supernatural stuff because what happens is that you become the target especially of a dark attachment okay and you know and i you know and i tell people you know there's some people like i tell them look if this is something that you're just going through right now hey you know like like i tell them ouija board pass on it going to the cemetery thanks no uh paranormal investigations not now you know later on when you get that things back in balance in your life personal you know emotional or physical that's different and i say and then there's people that i tell them if i were you I would never go near anything having to do with the paranormal because there's just certain things about you, whether it's emotional or physical trauma, that you're just a weak link and you're always going to be a target. And if I were you, I would never, ever dabble in that. And people don't realize that that there's something about us as human beings that um, some cases it is. It's just an entity that wants to communicate for whatever reason like you said they kind of like want to and then there's others that do have a little bit darker intent that want mm-hmm. desperately what they don't have anymore which is a living human body to experience what you can't unless you have a living human body to do so and there's just people that are more vulnerable than others because of that and, and I, I mean I've run across that uh as far as uh, under certain conditions. So, uh, and I, like I tell everybody, uh, there's certain people that should just never, ever do. I, I would even tell them, if I were you, I would, if I, if I ever had to go, like, say, even to a cemetery, I would just go cautiously uh, because of what's going on. And others, it's just, you know, there's times that you need to pass on it. And I don't know if you've run across that, Stephen in your experience as far as when you've been doing paranormal research that you have felt, hey, maybe I need to take a break for a while. Has that ever happened to you? Uh, okay, this, this is going to be long-winded. Go right ahead. First off, first off um, it's uncanny uh, how, how much you and I think alike. I, I used to, I want to say from 2008, 2009, for about a year, um, by request, some, uh, a place, uh, a school asked me to do it. They asked me to teach a paranormal class. Okay. Because they were so sick of the the television shows and people mm-hmm. mimicking what they're seeing on TV, you know, like Zach Baggins. You know, everything's a demon and we're yes, yelling no, at yeah, it I know. and all that. Yeah, yeah it's and, graduated and to that, so, yes. You know, I taught a class, you know, creatively titled Paranormal 101. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the very first thing... I did in in the class. I had a you know a PowerPoint laptop set up, projector, all this stuff, and I told everybody. I said paranormal investigating starts with this, and I popped up on the screen. the The background was black, big white letters, the word "you." Paranormal investigating starts with you. If you're feeling sick. If you don't think you can do it, if you've got stress in your life, blah, 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 everything you just said, yeah, don't do it. Mm-hmm. If, if you're not the top of your game, don't do it. And, you know, I'm not even going to reiterate what you said, but that right. it just made me think back to that 10 years ago that that was the very first thing I would tell 
my students is it starts with you. And then, yes. you know, I would elaborate from there that, you know what, you need to become a camera expert. You need to be able to learn how to fake a ghost. Because if right. you don't know how to fake one, you don't know how to call one out. Exactly. You know, a fraud. You know, and learning your technology, learning how to do this, that, the other thing, lear learning um, the stuff a lot of us know now is common knowledge, you know, what causes a K2 meter to go off just right. by things that are around, you know, yes. that has nothing to do with a ghost. Um, but yeah, for me, it's a little different. Um, I don't know, you might want to call uh, borderline psychotic. Uh, but for me, I, I, I try everything. Okay. Um, if I am down, if, uh, it doesn't matter. I try, I, I, in order to, in order for me to really research everything, you have to really research everything. Yes. And I, and I guess I'm willing to put myself through that, so to speak. Um, there was a point in my life where I did stop. Um, in okay. 2014, I flipped a car seven times down the highway. And the destruction was so bad that when EMS and, and fire truck, you know, everybody showed up, they did not expect anybody to be alive in that car. Wow. And uh, I was alive. And it was one of those moments where i went black when it happened okay you know, and i didn't see a bright white light my life didn't flash before my eyes All the you, know, I'm, I, stuff, huh? you know that that stuff but it, it really made me think you know i've spent my life caring more about what happens after this you know after our life than i am right now caring about what's going on right now so i i did take a break for a bit and just let it go for a while but right. it it's just it's just who i am and right. I, I had to go back to it but yeah i agree with you i think most people you know take your time with it this isn't something just don't mimic what you see on tv oh, you no. know i tell people read read as much as you can you know and then start off small you know don't just don't take on things you can't handle right because and, there are dark things out there that can and will ruin your life yes and i agree with you and and that's why and, and the reason why also you know if you're a person that because nobody leads a perfect life but in other words you know how to handle stressful situations when they come in your personal life and everybody has them they come and they go and that's fine you know just but uh, there's a lot of people that sometimes, unfortunately, they get into this to serve as a distraction. Like, they got really deep things going on, either psychological or, you know, whatever, emotional. And this is like, they're kind of like distracted by this. And it's like, you really don't realize that you're putting a bullseye on your head. Okay. Uh, for attracting what you don't want to attract. Exactly like what you just described. Because they all think that, oh, you know, we're going to go out there and we're going to hear, see something and it's going to be scary and okay. And then we'll just go home and it'll be over. And it's like, yeah, but you know what? You wouldn't be the first person that I've run across that, you know, contrary to what you see on the TV shows, it's not like three days later, you've got stuff flying around your house. Sometimes right. it's very slow 
how all of a sudden things start to unravel for you worse than before. And I guarantee you the point of origin is going to be when you went a certain place or did something. Why you and maybe not everybody else? Ask yourself why. Usually, Well, you know, go ahead. Go ahead. No, sorry. no, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say to expand on things you said earlier and what you're saying now, um, my degree is in psychology. Mm -hmm. uh, that's that's my specialty. And and you touched base with it. You mentioned it earlier, um, you know, drug abuse, you know, mental illness, right. uh, that kind of thing. Um, those are the things I first look for in a yes. client. Yes. Um, is there a 30-pack of beer in the fridge? Um is there, you know, Xanax and Percocet and stuff? And, you know, I look for child abuse. And, and unfortunately, I've had cases where it was actual child, child abuse. Yes. And they were trying to pawn it off as demon attacks and, and all this other stuff. And I had to, you know, handle that legally. But, you know, it's, when it comes to, like, the, the people I work with, mm -hmm. uh, whether it was through the pit, or colleagues I work with now, um, everybody has a background check ran on them. Everybody right. has a you know a psychological analysis. Right. Um, you know I have a lot a, a lot of military I work with a lot of law enforcement I work mm -hmm. with, um, electricians, carpenters, um, people that can go into a house and explain things away. Sure. You know a lot of people have this misconception that. Um, I'm a believer through and through, and when I go in, I automatically believe what you say, and I'm here to support what you say. That is the absolute opposite. No, you're right. You know, I come in and try to disprove in every way I can, and then we go from there. Exactly. You know, but, but it all starts with, you know, because I've seen it so many times with uh, other teams, uh, even these television teams that are casted, uh, you know – they're con yes. artists or they're drug addicts or they do have mental illness. And, mm -hmm. you know, that that kind of stuff is what hurts this field. And oh, sure. is partly why the majority of society doesn't even take it seriously. Right. You know, television has done more damage to this field than it has good, you yes. know. Yes. And, and, for example, on what you said, that thing. One time I was in a case. This was, what, over 10 years ago. And I remember I had interviewed the family. Well, I, I interviewed the mother over the phone before we went out there. Their claims were that they had a teenage son in the house and that the grandmother who had passed away was communicating with him via a cell phone that was disconnected. Plus other things were going on in the house. Mm -hmm. So I interviewed her. You know, she described what was going on. I said, how about your son? I mean, is... How's he doing in school? I mean, what's going on? Because I'm thinking, okay, PK activity. Do we have a poltergeist thing going on developing here? You know, where's he? Oh, no, he's fine at school. He's great. He's nothing. He's doing really well. His grades. Okay. Get, get there. Really nice neighborhood. Very nice house. First thing I notice when I get there is a couple steps out with what looks like a little kid. I'm not kidding you. It was like a little kid. Turns out this was the high schooler. I'm thinking to myself, this might be a problem. This is a high schooler that looks much, when I say much, much younger than what he really is. So I'm sure he's getting 
grief somewhere along the line being in high school and looking like he's in grade school but I said okay so one of the questions that we usually asked was do you is there any medications that you all take okay and she said yeah we me and my husband we both take antidepressants I said that's fine that's okay it doesn't mean anything one way or the other so I remember we were in the house and I'm gonna make it was a lot of weird things but I'm gonna get to the part that I'm like and I remember we were just taking base readings, looking at the temperature. I was just going through the house, and all of a sudden, I looked down the hallway that leads, and you could look into the kitchen, and I see Dad pouring himself a big glass of, I don't know what type of alcohol. I don't know if it was whiskey or scotch. I don't know what. But right there, all the alarm bells went off for me because I'm thinking to myself, whoa, wait, you guys are taking prescription drugs for depression or for whatever's going on? but you're pouring yourself a big drink. I'm thinking to myself, oh God. You know, right there, the whole shift of the investigation was maybe there is something going on. One thing doesn't preclude the other. But as far as their credibility goes, it was like, okay, there's there, there might be a problem here, okay? Because you're not supposed to be mixing a lot of these medications with alcohol. Very true. Very you know. true. My my wife is a nurse, and uh, yeah, I, and, and it's like I've been very educated on right. That stuff. And, and it was like, and I mean, I didn't know exactly what the drugs were. I don't know, but she was the one that told me that they were taking something. And I was like, and to make a long story short, it was an unusual household, and and I, short of having stayed there longer, we didn't really capture anything. And I think it was more, as a matter of fact, I think it was more. Uh, situational thing with the family and maybe even with the son as far as the way he looked and maybe the parents both uh, having things going on with them that was causing more of the problem uh, that I'm not saying that there maybe wasn't communication from the grandmother that passed on but at the same time it left a lot in doubt as to the veracity of how accurate they were about the experiences that were going on so I understand exactly what you mean as far as when you go in there, you're looking for is the source of what you're saying or that, you know, you maybe you're seeing things or witnessing things as like, is it because you're taking prescription drugs with alcohol? Oh, boy. Yeah, that, that'll that do it to most people where you start hearing or seeing things that are either not there or grossly exaggerated. So well, let, a lot of people let me don't realize that. that a lot of investigators do look at that. We don't go in there thinking, oh, yeah, it's paranormal. Sure. Right. Well, let me let me add to that, too, because, I, you know, it's not a general rule. It, it goes back to the paranormal investigator starts with you. Yes. And you have to learn. You have to be a profiler. Yes. You know, you have, you know, and I, I mean that in a positive way, not a, you know, a, a negative way. Mm-hmm. You just have to be able to read people. And, you know, sometimes maybe they're taking that drink because of what is happening. Oh, sure. You know, and you can tell an alcoholic, you, you yeah. can look into their eyes. Uh, do they have yes. a, a yellow tint to their eyes? Uh, mm-hmm. Do they have red rashes? You know, you know, you, you have to, and luckily my wife, like I said, who's a nurse has taught me these things. Right. And so I can go in and I can talk to a client and, and one pops into my mind instantly and he was drinking when he was talking to me, but you could tell he wasn't an alcoholic. Exactly. When, when one, 
when the one drink he starts slurring and you know kind of losing his train of thought and you know an alcoholic's not like that mm-hmm. you know an alcoholic can drink all day and you'd never even know they were drinking all day right you know but it, and and I'll be the first to tell you there there have been times in my life um, where I have investigated these dark cases mm-hmm. and and, I, and I'm not going to use the case as an excuse right but there there has been times where I have taken a bottle just to try to get rid of it, you know, okay. try to forget about it, right. you know, and, and there, there, there was a case too where, and a lot of people may shun this, but you know, there isn't a written book or format, um, on how you should paranormal investigate because each case is unique in its it own is. way. And there it was is. a case there was a case that I took, uh, I want to say t- 2010, 11, something like that. And um, a- anyways, the short version of this story is the guy who lived in this house, um, he had, in the 90s, come out as being gay. Okay. And that was not... To me, I don't care. You, I mean, people right. do whatever they want. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I, I don't care. You can do whatever you want. But uh, it was not socially accepted in this area that he lived. Okay. And he ended up taking his own life with a shotgun. Wow. Well, when I was called into the case, it was one of the family members. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she she told me I asked every little detail. She told me every little thing about him, and she said that he had turned into an alcoholic. Okay. Uh, because of the stress of the fact that he was gay. Okay. And in this small town in North Carolina, where that kind of thing just at that time wasn't accepted. Sure. You know, he turned to the bottle. Mm-hmm. So I investigated the house. I investigated the house. I investigated the house. Got nothing. 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 And I thought, okay, well, maybe I need to relate to him a little bit more. Mm-hmm. One of uh, my colleagues who I work with frequently is gay. Okay. So uh, I asked him if he could make the drive so I would have a gay guy with me. And I said, we're going to take a bottle of whiskey in this time. Because they told sure. me that whiskey was his favorite drink. Okay. And we sat down in the living room of this house. And put three glasses out, one for me, one, one for Eddie, who was my colleague, mm-hmm. uh, still, or still is my colleague, and he's gay. And then another one for the guy who committed suicide. Okay. And me and Eddie started to drink. That was one of the best EVPs I ever captured in my life. What was it? This guy, we asked him if he wanted a drink, and he said, yes, I want a drink. Oh, my God. So it was... Yes, that I was one that. of those cases where you had to, you know, you, you got nothing, you got nothing, you got nothing mm-hmm. until you related yeah. to him. Yes, yes. You know, and a lot of people you would tell that story to, oh, you shouldn't do that on an investigation. Oh, no, why? But you know what? That's that's what needed to be done. <laughs> Contrary to what people think, you will have some discarnates who really don't want to communicate with you. And you have a team go in there. They kind of disappear. They kind of like make themselves scarce. Yes, there's some that want to communicate and want to give you VPs and tell their story. And blah, 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 blah. and there's others that like, I don't want to have anything to do with you guys. Just leave me alone. I'm out of here. I'm going to the attic. I'm going to the basement. I'm going to that dark corner. 
you know, I'm yeah. going somewhere, and I'll just wait for you guys to leave. Well, there, you know, there have been cases. Uh, I, we had done a case from 2012 to 2016 that was up uh, close to the border of Virginia, and it was for the mayor of that town. Okay. And that says something. When we were talking earlier about how things were taboo 20 years ago. Yes. And yes. now you got a politician who's willing to go on the record with this yes. stuff. And allegedly the entity in this house uh, didn't like women. And when, and we like I said, we investigated this over the course of four years. And the best night we ever had was the night we just let the female investigators go in there. Uh, yeah. And I sat outside in a car, and I filmed the house from the outside. And the place went off yeah. on the inside for those women. Yes. And while they are upstairs, all isolated to one room, all filming, all on film, I'm filming something walking across the entire downstairs oh my of God. this mansion. Oh. But it was because we did what that entity wanted yes it like women so we left nothing but women in there okay but you have these investigators that don't get that stuff you right. know oh we've all got to go in there and uh no oh, you, sometimes you've got to do works. there's no yeah. general rule no and you know some personalities are like that you know like they have their preferences they're still there it's not like they're yeah they still have their likes and dislikes depending on who they were when they were alive and Sometimes if you do something that they care enough about, they come around. If you do something they really don't like, they also come around. And But and other times they just like want to hang out and just wait for the team to leave, which is a good point that you made about when you have the ability to go back over an extended period of time under different conditions and see what happens. Because it wouldn't be the first time that you go. Oh, and by the way, one of the things that I wanted to mention before I forget, Stephen, that that I tell, you know, I've, I've mentioned this before is that, you know, you could read a lot of books, you can go and see a lot of the shows, but nothing, nothing, nothing ever replaces field work, which is what you're describing. And that That's includes true. going to really boring investigations where nothing happens and you're like, I'm ready to like fall asleep. Okay. Or, you know, we're going, like you said, that every, every situation is different. Every investigation is different just because the, maybe the people that are involved are different. The circumstances are different. Uh, and that field work, uh, that, that, I think that's, that's really what sets apart the real true paranormal researcher from the one that's just like in it for, oh, because I want to do it because Zach is doing it or something like that. Well, I'll tell you the, a story I tell a lot of people. The quickest case... I ever worked was 15 minutes. And if we want to refer to these other people that would go in, they would probably have said it was a ghost and they would have probably filmed and uh, had their audio clip out and said, yes, but this guy gets a hold of me. Uh, this was in Myrtle beach, uh, okay. South Carolina. And, uh, he said that uh, it was the maintenance guy that worked for this business. Okay. And he, he's the first guy on the scene every morning. Okay. Uh, I'd say 6.45 in the morning. And he said that every morning when he would walk into the building, he would hear somebody walk across the attic. Okay. And I was like, okay, you know, I can come check that out. I'll meet you there in the morning because obviously this is happening every day. He's right. 
So how can I miss it, you know? So I meet him there, and he goes, now look. He said, we're going to walk in here. I'm telling you, you are going to hear somebody walk across the attic. So we go in there. Sure enough, I hear do, 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 go right across. You're like, wow. I was like, okay. I was like, I definitely wasn't a squirrel, you know? Right, exactly. Because there's been many cases uh, yeah. where a thermal camera has proven that their ghost was a squirrel. But, And I said, wait a minute, man. I started looking around. And this, this was in uh, peak of the summer, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Humidity's high, temperature's high, even at 7 o'clock in the morning, you know. Uh-huh. And I said, when you open that door, you let the heat from the outside come inside and that kicks the ac on right then when you shut the door and you and me stood here for a few minutes and then we heard those footsteps he goes yeah and i said do you know how air conditioners work you know how ac duct work you know do you know anything about it and he said no and i said well i'm going to tell you what's above your head what's above your head is this duct work that's going across the entire the ceiling and there are flaps every couple feet, you know, maybe every four or five, six feet. And when the AC turns off, you know, the air is coming backwards, basically. So after it stops blowing, those flaps close one at a time, which sounds like do, 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 do somebody walking across the ceiling above you. And he, and of course, and he used choice words. You know, I was gonna say that must have been a Kodak and, moment of his face. <laughs> and he said, "You know, I never realized that." I said, "That's all it is, man. You're opening this door. It kicks the AC on. You shut the door. You're in here milling, milling around for a few minutes, mm -hmm. and then it's it's brought it back up to the temperature it needs to be, and it turns off. And it's just those flaps. That's all it is. And it's like fifteen what? minutes. <laughs> and you know what? But and I'm, I don't know if you've found this in mod, you know, because of the, you know, reality TV with all these paranormal shows. Once upon a time, sometimes people wouldn't even jump to the conclusion of paranormal right away. But nowadays, it's almost like, that's a weird noise. That's what it is. Oh, it's a ghost or the D word, the demon. Yeah, oh, I was okay. like, what? Doesn't anybody try to explain like an alternative? I mean, yeah. Well, I I'm going to tell you what a producer told me because I have dealt with producers since 2007. Okay. And I I have proposed many shows along the lines and stuff like that. I've been in a few of them and uh, I've seen how it works behind the scenes and I've had like like I said one of my good friends is from was from Ghost Hunters International mm -hmm. and she was the first to tell me stuff that people don't want to hear, you know, sure. that that's really happening. But I was pitching a show, which really irritated me because a few years later, speaking of Zach Baggins, he came out with a show called Paranormal Challenge. Right, exactly, and, yes. Okay, well, I had come up with the concept called Ghost Trials. Yeah. And what it was going to be was not telling the paranormal investigators where they're going, just giving them a story. Just right. saying, oh, this place is haunted, this is the claims... Um, you know, these are the claims, uh, blah, blah, blah. The person died, whatever. You just get, fill their head full of a bunch of crap and see okay? what happens. And then you put them in there and then you see if they come up with EVPs, if they come up with whatever, 
and then you come out or they come out and you judge them it was like a judging kind of show and you tell them well it was all made up there was absolutely nothing there exactly but you're saying you got evps you're saying you got this and then sometimes maybe the place really is haunted right you know it was basically to pick the best team Mm -hmm. and i was talking to um a producer he's a very famous producer he's done a few paranormal shows um fact or faked he was one of the producers okay hey he told me steve he told me steven he said you know people just don't want their paranormal busted oh of course not he said that's why we do these shows they do not want it busted so they didn't buy the idea because i wanted to show people how it really was paranormal teams are they really that good or you know or not and he didn't like it, but two years later, there you go. Zach Baggins took that same concept and did it. Yeah, but at the end, but they only did what I think it was like three shows like that, or two, or something like that. It yeah, was very it, short it was. And you know what? I think personally that that's what happened to Ghost Hunters. That they debunked a little bit too much. <laughs> you know, it was like, aren't there any ghosts out there? And I think that's why it just lost the excitement that people saw at the very beginning when the when the series started. Uh, as far as, you know, paranormal investigations and using the, you know, methods and equipment for, to try to capture evidence. But then it was towards the end, it was like no place was ever haunted or haunted enough or just because, you know, we can't capture evidence because we were here overnight and, you know, or the worst, which is it's not malicious. It's like, it's like so I think that that's partially why I think that that series I like kind of the first two seasons because it was more true to what is yes. actually being done. You know, because there, there were those episodes, there's nothing here, blah, 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 right. blah. You know, they they did everything. They, they showed you these ways to disprove things, and, and I like that. But mm-hmm. we are a niche genre, so the, the people watching those shows want entertainment. And that's kind of when Ghost Hunters got out of hand. You know, where everything was something. And they started faking the stuff with the live episodes and the collar tugs and the fishing line and the stuff they all got busted for, you know. And it got it went it went from you always seeing Jason and Grant using equipment to the late the last half of the series. They were never even carrying anything around. No, they weren't. They weren't. (laughs) They were just walking around being a voice on the camera. Right. With a flashlight. And that was it. If that much. Yep. Yeah, it, it just it, and and it, and that's fine for me, mm-hmm. you know. If and I think at this point, anybody who has any inkling of common sense knows that these shows are they're just for entertainment. They have yep. to sell advertising. Yes, they have to. Yes, your your best bet if you want to really see um, paranormal investigating or paranormal research. Um, is to watch groups online, watch yeah. the people who put their mm-hmm. own stuff on YouTube, and yes. that's that's what I've done for eleven, twelve years now. Yeah, you know, yeah. And, and got an audience of two million. You know, right. and that's exactly it's, what happens. It's the real deal. And like I said, and you know, you're gonna go to some places where nothing happens. Again, one of two things: either there really isn't nothing there, or it's just not gonna make an appearance for whatever reason. And it might not like you. And it might not like you, you know, exactly. Or it doesn't it, like somebody it, there. Or it, Exactly. Yeah. It could be the people you work with. And, and that's like we, we discussed earlier in the show. 
you've got to work these locations over and over and over again. I've taken in team member A and team member B and team member C and nothing happened. Then I brought in D, E, and F and, and stuff happened. started to happen. You know, it, it's there. there's so many factors that go into it. Let me ask you something, Stephen. Have you ever been involved in an investigation or location, whatever, that you've gone into that it just turned out like, I need to back out because this is more than what I expected. Either because once you went there, you felt or experienced something really malevolent. And by this, I mean beyond the just the dead, regular dead person thing going on. Yes and no. Um, my wife took a case years ago uh, that was probably the most violent um uh, for lack of a better word, terrifying mm -hmm. case you can imagine. It's a movie waiting to happen. It really is. Okay. Uh, but again, this this goes back to the maybe I'm psychotic <laughs> kind of thing where I'm not going to walk away from something like that. If there is something that is giving me that much, uh, even if it hurts, right? this is amazing. This is incredible. This is stuff that needs to be documented. Uh, this particular case was a uh, plantation that was built in eh, 1840, something like that. Okay. It actually had slaves. There, uh, there were remnants of three slave quarters, two of which were still standing. Okay. I believe it was about 90 acres plus the plantation home itself. And uh, what was there was extremely violent. And uh, I wrote about it in the Dark Spirits book. And when, okay. when we were talking about um, the spiritual magnetism, mm -hmm. we, worked, we worked that case for two years. Okay. And the violence, the uh, evil, for lack of a better word, that was the stuff that was following us everywhere. Okay. When we would leave that place, um, you know, we would spend three, four days to a week at a time at this location and there's no power. There's no water. Okay. You know, we had our campers, our, our trailers with equipment and cameras, and you know, we we it was basically roughing it. Okay. Um, we we had firearms because we were on 90 acres of right. You know, uncharted territory, so yeah. to speak. There's wildlife there, uh, wild boar, um, stuff like that. So you needed to be armed in case something like that would happen. And uh, this was a location where I saw an investigator picked up in the air. And thrown against a wall. Whoa. I myself was hit in the face, knocked down a flight of steps. Holy crap. And about an hour later, when another investigator actually looked at me, there were three slashes across my cheek. This is all documented. This is all, there's photography, there's video. Um, there are links you can watch all this stuff from this case. Okay. Um, another investigator knocked down a flight of steps. Another investigator uh, went to a seizure um, there were one, two amazing things that still to this day, this case was 2011, 2012. Mm -hmm. Um, the best thermal camera captures I have to this date. Uh, one was we were out, um, there were soybean or what used to be soy, soybean fields. Okay. And we threw a thermal camera up and there were five figures standing in that field giving off heat. What? But to the naked eye, we're not there. But on the thermal camera, you could see them. 
Wow. See, that was one thing. The best thing in the attic of the plantation home itself it were three stories up in the air. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I had left a thermal camera. This was one of those $30,000 thermal cameras. Okay. okay. This is not, not the little $300 thing from Amazon. Uh-huh. You know, I had left it running in the attic because there was a lot of activity up there. And if, if you want to visualize this, um, the attic, uh, about the size of your average house. Okay. okay. It was the length of the house, but it was nothing but attic. In the center were, were the stairs you would come up and down. Uh-huh. And across the room were two windows, one on both sides. Okay. Very weird attic where on both sides of the walls, you could actually access uh, the rafters. Okay. So you could go behind the walls, like they were hidden rooms, so to speak. And uh, my wife-to-be and I were sitting in these rafters. So we're not actually in the attic part where the thermal camera's filming. Mm-hmm. We're in the rafters, and I'm filming in there. Right. And it's really late, and I say some choice words, and she's like, what? And I said, I can swear all the way across these rafters there's something moving down there. And, you know, I'm thinking maybe a raccoon, you know, some right. kind of animal. And uh, then my eyes focus, and I see it, and again, a few choice words come out. And she sees it, too. Oh. Well, the next morning, we decide to review the thermal camera. The thermal camera shows... Okay, now, say we're on the left side of the attic behind the wall. Okay. Okay? From the right comes this sphere, probably about the size of a basketball. Okay. Okay, you can see it in the first window. Then it disappears. Then when it gets to the second window, which is closer to us, it's full-bodied. Absolutely a person looking like they're uh, almost like Santa Claus, like they're carrying a sack. Okay. Or, or like a slave would or a Haitian, you know what I mean, back right. at that, that time period. Okay. And then the second it goes through the wall is when you hear my choice words, <laughs> when her and I actually made eye contact with what we saw at the end of the the rafters. Now, what makes that clip even more interesting is the fact the thermal camera, you saw it in that first window pane as a sphere. Okay. It disappears, then shows up in the next window, full body. That means it wasn't even in the room. It was three stories up in the air outside. That Other, Otherwise, you would have seen it go across the entire room. You see exactly. what I'm saying? Exactly. You only saw it in the windows. That right, when it passed by the windows. That was incredible. And it may- But that was one of those cases we just could not leave because it just kept giving and giving and giving. And yes, people were getting hurt, but everybody was willing. Everybody had the opportunity. Look, you can you can bow out anytime you want. Nobody right. wanted to. You know, this was just too good. We've got to document this stuff. Would you, you know, do, was are we talking here human entity, non-human, or a mix? Especially that violent I, stuff. I don't know because my my view on those things are slightly different than most people. I think if you are a rapist or a child molester or mm-hmm. a murderer or just a prick in real life, <laughs> um, you're still one in the afterlife. 
in 10 to 1, you're going to be the same thing in the afterlife, only yes. you're going to have attributes we don't have. Absolutely. You know, and that's what people often mislabel as a demon. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, it's just a, a, a bad person, or, or, or they were a bad person. Yeah. Um, but that place is very unique. Inhuman, I, I would almost agree. It it was just because there there were images, there were there were other video clips. Um, I'll ha I'll have to shoot you some of this footage, and it'll right. just blow I your mind. Where where things did look like creatures, like just something out of a movie. You know, it just right. It and 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 in this particular location, it would mimic us. Oh, it it one would of those, it would, huh? Right, it would. One person would be in the building and hear another investigator upstairs that is not in the building. So wow. it, it could sound like us. And it was, it's, it's definitely a good read. <laughs> I'll put it to you that way. And I don't know why that mimicking stuff is so prevalent in especially dark hauntings. It's almost like that either. One of two things, it's either bait. the mimicking or the doppelganger effect where you kind of think you see the person, but then you realize it's not that person or you or that person wasn't there or something along those lines. That's like like the ability it's, it's to bait. play with your mind, your senses. Yeah, it, it's, you know, if, if something's out to harm you, they're, and especially in a, in a realm that we have no control over, oh, well. <laughs> uh, you know, they're going to do whatever they can. And there are people in real life who can do 40 different voices. You know, they can do celebrity voices. They can mimic singers, you know. And so what's to say you can't do that in the afterlife? Sure. You know? Well, it's at the end of the day, really. And I think this is what people don't realize as far as being this kind of scary or even it's not like scary Hollywood. It's like you have an entity that's intelligent enough to want to manipulate you by mimicking either with voice or even with appearance to be somebody in your team. That shows a lot of will, a lot of intent, more than just, oh, this is a person that used to live here and they're just going about their daily you know, routine and you happen to see them. This is yeah. the true hallmarks of an active, intelligent haunting uh, and the desire to manipulate. And when you start getting into that, like you said, if what you've got was a, a person or let's say that was an SOB in life, the death doesn't, didn't make him any better. And I tell, and I've explained it to people, like you said, you know, just because sometimes people go into the presence of certain things and they said, oh man, I got this really bad feeling. It felt like so malevolent. And I said, this is exactly the same thing. When you come in contact with somebody that's alive, that whether they're psychopathic or there's just something off about them that you feel like, I need to get away from this person. This is not a good person. Same thing. The only thing is that they're dead. And you get that right. vibe of, I need to get away from this feeling of being around whatever this is. You know, and uh, I, I think that it's, which I imagine you, when you wrote that book, Dark Spirits, Stephen, this is about those type of investigations that you've done where, what you came across was just not the regular, like I said, old dead person, a regular dead person who's just like, oh, you know, I don't want to, this is what's my house. It sounds like 
definitely where you're talking where people are being physically attacked that is that is very dark well not even physically attacked but just uh mentally changed uh forever yes. i mean that investigation in particular ended the pit it ended the team that i created yes. it was over yes. when we when we finally called it quits from that location that was it. There, yeah. there, there was no more team, and only a few of us from that particular uh, group continued to work together. Oh. You know, it just it took a mental toll on everybody. I think some people also. That's and I'm glad you bring that up, especially for these paranormal enthusiasts who think oh, I want to go out there. And I go, you know, when you run across stuff like that, you can't, especially when you witness something like really truly scary, dark, like whoa, you know, this is. It's like you can't unsee it. You can't undo the knowledge that you know that this exists. Like this is the stuff you're going to think about the next time you go to sleep and turn off your lights. It's like this was not the movies where, yeah, you get scared and, oh, the movie's over. Okay, let's go. Yeah, that was make-believe. When you witness this firsthand more than once, okay, you can't undo that knowledge. No matter how much you wish you didn't know. It's like, man, I wish, why, who, who told me I wanted to know about this? It's like, yeah, yeah. And that, and that goes back to what you asked earlier, you know. When you're truly in this for the answers, uh, there's just a part of your life that you're just willing to give up. Yes. And, and you just can't turn away from that. Yes. You know, there are peop many people who say, no, I'm not messing with that, or, you know, or they're out of there, you know. Yes. But and you know what? Yep. Those, those are so few and far between T television wants to make you think it's every other haunting that's <laughs> like that you know but when when you get something like that it's it's very difficult to walk away from it because you don't know yeah. if you ever have that opportunity again right as risky as it is you know you got to ask yourself why are you doing this right you know and that's the thing is like once you go in there like once you open pandora's box you know once you're there Okay, especially when you get the feel of, okay, that this is, this has got a lot of things that are going to make you uncomfortable or like you said, that affect you that you just can't, it's not like, you know, when you're at work and it's like, okay, quitting time, I'm going home now. When you're involved in this type of case, you don't sometimes have that option. It kind of invades your life in other areas. Well, Either you have a responsibility too, you know, when, when you take... Uh, a client's case yes whether it be confidential or they want it out in the open you know whatever you, you have a responsibility you know you don't just say oh yeah you're screwed i'm out of here you know you that's just not how it works in real life you know of course and and that's and it's a cautionary tale and i'm sure there's a lot of people out there especially that don't have the experience i go oh sure okay all right but i really want to get scared it's like okay all right whatever you know, some people are built for it, some are not. But anyway, I wanted to ask you, Stephen, about this book, that the Norman book, the doll book, because I know there's a whole set of people out there that have a distinct fear of inanimate objects such as dolls. Yeah, I, I never did. And I, I never uh, subscribed to the idea of haunted objects in general. Mm-hmm. Although my wife and I have 
a plethora of allegedly haunted objects all through the house. Um, you know, investigations that we've done where okay. the clients believed it's because of this specific item. Here, just take it. Just get it out of my house. Right. You know, I don't want well, it. Okay, well, we'll take it. That's a cool little music box, you know. Yes. Um, but I never really got into the doll thing. I never believed it. I, I don't really want to say I never believed it. I just never experienced it, I right. guess. Right, and I know what you to, mean, yeah. To say, yeah. I could say yay or nay. And uh, the, the funny thing about Norman being a book is that was the first time I actually wrote a book where one particular case was the entire story. Okay. All, all of my books prior to that chronicled my investigations. So each chapter was an investigation. So once you finished one chapter, you were done with that investigation and you're on to the next. Okay. And yes. uh, with my publisher, I was working on a book called Testaments of the Supernatural. Okay. And Norman was one of the chapters. And uh, they called me and, and they said, we really like this chapter on this doll. You know, can can you do a whole book on this? And right. I it took like, on a life yeah. of its own, no pun intended. Yeah, I said, yeah, actually I could. This this was one of those things where it was ongoing and, you know, we we acquired the doll from a, a, a secondhand shop, an antique shop, whatever you want to call it, mm -hmm. and uh, brought it into the house and things started to happen enough to where it could be documented and when your wife and yourself are paranormal researchers and you have everything right there at your fingertips. Yes. Um, we put surveillance up through the whole house, which is still up to this day. And uh, Norman is, the documentation of Norman is never ending because he lives with us. Right. Uh, he's here in a box, you know, now. Um, in the book, it was, it's a, he was in a different situation at the end of the book. Um, but okay. now he's in, he's in a box on the shelf. But um, it was one of those things where there was so much to tell about this. And for me, it was a first um, to really opening my mind to the fact that can Objects. an entity really do that? Mm -hmm. You know, take on an object and become that object and, and project itself from that object. Right. Um, use it as a Trojan horse, so exactly. to speak. Exactly. That's a very uh, good analogy there. Very good. As far as and, most people don't realize it, that that's exactly what it is. And the funny thing is, uh, the book was released on April 8th, you know, like a month and a half ago. Mm -hmm. And it has become my bestseller. <laughs> and it, it was something I would have never thought would have ever happened in my life. You know, something in our own home. Not somebody else's investigation, you know, mm -hmm. because that's all I ever wrote about before. We're, we're investigations up and down the East Coast, you know, other people's stories. And, and this this was our own. This was something we could control on a daily basis. We could investigate on a daily basis. Right, and, exactly. Uh, it's ongoing, and even though there is an end to that book, we still have him. And well, I was going to ask you, putting him you know? away in the box, what has happened? Has that, like, helped or is it? No. And, okay. and I, I, I can't go into that too much okay. because there, I, have, I have a book I'm working on right now, a manuscript I'm working on right now about another case. Okay. Uh, 
But following that, there is going to be a sequel to Norman. Okay. okay. I hate using that word, sequel. Because it just what? sounds like it's made up. But um, it, it just shows people that research isn't done in one day. No, and, it's and when it's all said and done, you know, Norman, the book, was, you know, six, eight months worth of research. Yeah. From the point we acquired him to the point I pretty much had to get the manuscript to the publisher. Okay. So there, it didn't stop there, obviously. We still live with it every day. So right. everything still continues to be documented. And uh, Norman will ride for a while out there in, in the marketing world. And then, you know, probably, well, my next book comes out in 2019, which is, like I said, another another person's story, their case, or, you know, case mm -hmm. we're worked. We have worked for a few years. And then uh, a follow-up to Norman will probably come in 2020. So okay. you're talking, you know, three, four years after what's what you're reading now in Norman is going to come out in 2020, what's happened since then. Right, right, so, exactly, in the intervening time. Right. And people don't realize, because you know that now there's, a, myself included, you know, did, where people leave stuff out in the curb or the garage sale. And I've said it before in other shows, I go, folks, be a little bit careful when you either buy or pick up stuff. If you get a funky feeling, leave it. Because you never know. You never know. It just, just never know. If you get, you know, you go to something and, and don't blow it off as like, oh, it's just my imagination. It's or it's a great deal, or maybe there's a reason why it's a great deal. It's like leave it, <laughs> leave it. Because it, is, it has definitely opened my mind to those kind of things, and uh, you know, it's happened to my wife before. The case we were talking about earlier mm -hmm. up near Virginia with the mayor. Um, right. He had. All these antiques throughout his house. Yes. And um, my wife, she's fascinated with stones, you know, and, and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Gemstones and stuff. And there was a stone from his house, whether it be the actual stone or one that's a carbon copy of it, that just showed up at our house. What? And she found it one day and thought I was joking around. You know, like I had just set it there and like, ha ha, wow. you know, I knew nothing about it. And then it disappears. Then it shows up in a different place in the house. And then it showed up in her car. So it, it poured it, it over there. Hmm. Right. It was. What? You know, I'm starting to think, how is this stuff even possible, you know? And then, of course, along comes Norman. And uh, you, you start to realize that there's more than sometimes you can see things that are happening. Sometimes you can't. Yes. And when it's right here in your own home, you could, for us, you couldn't ask for anything better. Yes. You know, well, it, and it almost begs a question like, you absolutely, it sounds more the best people to have the Norman doll. You know, sometimes those things go to the wrong people. But you guys sound like you're the right ones to have it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been fun. It's been exciting. It's been scary. Uh, and it's been eye-opening, uh, yes. especially for me, you know, at, at that point, you know, that was 20-some years in the field, mm -hmm. and the first time that I'm doing tests on 
an inanimate object. Yes. You know, and what was interesting, what's interesting about Norman, uh, the doll itself is from 1962. Okay. Uh, he was manufactured by Mattel, and his real name's Maddie. Uh, okay. He was Maddie, Maddie Mattel. He okay. was their mascot. I okay. called him Norman when we brought him home just because Norman. I don't know why. You know, I really don't know why I said Norman because he wasn't normal. I don't know. It was just, <laughs> he just looked kind of looked kind of freaky to be like Mattel's, you right. know, mascot. And, you know, he, he isn't mechanical in any, or electrical, I should say. Right. In any way, he has, a, he has a pull string in the back, which when you pull it, it just sounds like a bunch of garbled Latin. I mean, he, he doesn't even work right, right you know, because he, he's that old. I was going to say, uh, yeah, because of the age. There, There's nothing, uh, he doesn't take batteries, there's just nothing electrical about him. And when these things started to happen, I thought, well, I'll do some standardized tests with him. And I put, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with ionic testers, but ionic testers, yes. um, they, you know, they, they basically read the ionic energy that's mm -hmm. in the air. Yes. Um, Human beings give off ionic, you know, everything does. Mm -hmm. And I had three of these testers. I put one between his legs, one on his head, and one beside him. And I stood back and I put, I had a camera on a tripod fixated on him. And these particular testers light up Okay. when ionic energy hits the antennas. There's little antennas that come out of these little boxes. So if you would wave your hand over one of these, you would cause the light to go off from your ionic energy. Well, he was given off ionic energy being in what? And, and you're like, like from okay. where? How's he yeah. doing this? I was like, all right, that's okay. That's one thing. All right, let's, let's go to the next thing. So I pulled out. Oh, now I'm being, there, there goes the demon dogs who we were talking about. Don't earlier. worry about it. I got my own in my background. I'll have a moment. So the next thing was, okay, let's, let's do a little temperature read on this guy. Okay. The house is temperature controlled. Um, it was, uh, 74 degrees in the house. So I shoot a temperature gun on him and he reads 74 degrees. Uh, within maybe 20, 30 seconds without moving the gun all on film, he drops from 74 to 54, 53 degrees. What? Now, that's how a, is that even possible? I know. That's a 20-degree difference. 20-degree difference. Then came the EMF testing, and he was giving off reads higher than a refrigerator would. And he is electrical in no way. So where is it coming from? What? Exactly. That is incredible. And so, yeah, it, of course it goes from there. I'm not going to ruin the, the book uh, for anybody, but... It, it got pretty insane around here for yeah. a, a moment in time. <laughs> and let me ask you, how long did it take for you to kind of figure it out that the source was Norman when things started happening? Was it right away or did it take you nah, like... No, not right away. It, it was... Yeah, I didn't want to believe it. You okay. know, it was more like, okay, it's something else. It's, it's Maybe our house is just haunted. Maybe it's something we brought back with us from another right. investigation. Yes. Like we talked about earlier in the show, you know, but the stuff kept happening with him or, or in the house, and, yeah. but it all seemed related to him. And the moment it was sold to me, 
was a day I was babysitting our grandkids. Okay. And uh, Lindsay and Liam were here. Uh, they were in the bedroom. And I'm on my computer working, you know, doing stuff, writing stuff. Lindsay's on her tablet playing a game or whatever. And Liam's laying on the bed facing the TV, watching the TV. And Liam grabs my attention and says, Norman's on the bed. Because they all knew who Norman was. I mean, he was like a conversation piece. Right. Every time somebody came over, what is this tall that's, you know. And I, I turn around, Norman's on the bed. Which, that's not where he started. He was sitting on a dresser. Okay, and before that, he was on the headboard of our bed. I was like, You're okay, like... These, kids, these kids are messing with me because my back is turned <laughs> to them. You know what I'm saying? So I just yeah, kind of, of ignored course. it. Well, then it goes on and on and a little bit, a little bit more, a little bit more. And uh, I go to use the restroom, and Lindsay's screaming. Norman moved again. I'm like, okay, Lindsay. Yeah, all right, you know. And I come out, and Liam is sitting Indian style, and he's facing Norman. And he's completely silent, like he's in this trance. Like, oh. What in the world is this kid doing? Right, so I sit back down at the computer. This is all on surveillance, because, again, we put surveillance up through the whole house. So finally, the curiosity gets the better of me. And I go over to the surveillance system, and I kind of rewind it. Rewind it, yeah. Oh there I'm God. dating myself again. I scroll back on this digital equipment and uh, to the point where they said he moved. Well, there was a glitch in the surveillance from the point he was on the dresser to the point he shows up on the bed. Are you serious? Oh well, then, God. as you see me, and, and th there's pictures from the surveillance in the book. Um, obviously, you can't show the video in the book, right. but there are, you can see the sequence of events in the pictures, the screenshots. My back is turned to them. I'm working on the computer, and you see this doll, especially in the video. It's just, it gives me, ch this is what sold it for me where I knew it was him, the doll turns its head and oh. looks at and looks at me. <gasps> oh crap. But I don't I'm not I don't know this is going on. I swear to okay? God I'm getting goosebumps as you're saying this. <laughs> and God. then turns its head back to Liam, who's who's watching TV, and then Liam turns around and sees the fact that Norman's moving and Liam starts smiling. You know he's a kid. He probably yeah. just Thinks oh. it's a toy that does that, you know. Well, then Norman did something that he can't physically do. He looked down. His <laughs> head actually looks down. Well, you can't even physically take your hand with this doll's head and make right. him look down. You, you just can't do it. He's not built that way. <laughs> and I see this all on the surveillance. And I'm like, oh. you have got to be kidding me. It was like he looked to see if I was paying attention. Right. And then he turned and he looked at Liam then that's when Liam turns around and starts sitting Indian style and starts staring at the doll. Well, I don't know if, if it got to him or what, but then Liam starts throwing toys at it like he's mad at it. Right. You know, uh -huh. like, what in the world? And and I, I can remember uh, my wife was, uh, you know, like I said, she she's a nurse. She was she was working and I'd send her a message on Facebook or over the phone or something. I said, you're never going to believe what we just got on surveillance. Norman's movie. Oh. You're just not even going to believe it, you know. And it just went on from there. 
And that was that was the moment I knew there was something. It was the doll. You know, when you see a doll move on its own. Yes. Like that, without any kind of intervention whatsoever, especially when he's not mechanical. Right. It's You can't deny right, it. Right, that you can't even say, oh, it was a malfunction, you know, something in there turned on when it's not supposed to. Right, and, and you know, I've... I've I, I try not to, but occasionally I'll go and I'll read reviews of my books and stuff just to see what people say. And, you know, they're all so interested, like they want to actually see all this surveillance footage. You know, not the screenshots, but they want right. to actually see. And and we've considered it, we've talked about it, like doing a documentary on Norman and, and yes. showing all of this video footage, you know, from the stuff that... Where, where the dogs were, were acting weird and backing up from him and, and being afraid of, you know, any other toy they'd chew the crap out of. You know what I mean? They would play with. Oh, see, he just spoke up. He was just saying, yep, don't even talk about it. Um, but Norman, they, they would back away from. Like, they were totally scared of him. Wow. It, so it's, it, it's you know interesting. What? And, and the reason why I say this is that me and my husband – well, my husband, he purchased a haunted vehicle. It's as a matter of fact, that's why we were on Paranormal Survivor about. And it's and it's the the reason why I say this as far as like things coming to the right people. He had bought this it's a it's an old muscle car from somebody across the state. And like within maybe a couple of months of purchasing it and he had already started experience. He meets me, which I'm a paranormal investigator. It was like, you know what like okay what are the chances are that this is going to happen and 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 this and th- that in and of itself even with my experience and I saw a lot of things that you know that didn't come out when we did the show um and that's like something that's outside and even then things were happening that you're like oh god so i can imagine having an item like a doll that's actually inside your house and being able to capture what you did that's got well, to for, be like what? You know, it, it, it was, at first I didn't agree to write about it. I just wanted it to be a chapter, and it said and done. They're on to the next chapter because it, it's one of those things. It sounds so crazy, you know, and, and so unbelievable and so Hollywood. But that, you, you know, but at the same time, it's like, look, it happened. It's you part know of the paranormal. You've got to put it out there. I would be curious to know if there was a reason why you named it Norman. <laughs> well, no. what's fu- what's funny about that is, um, I I don't know if you've heard the name Rosemary Ellen Guiley. Yes, of course. Okay, well, she wrote the foreword to the book. Okay. I I had talked to her, and uh, she she saw the footage. I sent her all the footage, mm-hmm. and well, she was blown away by it. Okay. And, uh, of course, she's got, you know, a few years on me, you know. Mm-hmm. And she said, oh, yeah, I would love to contribute to why I feel that, you know, basically she she just had more experience with haunted objects. Right. You know, she wor- worked a lot with John Zappas and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So she wrote the, the foreword to the book. Well, Darren Evans, uh, who's a real good friend of mine. Um, he he kind of does the Ouija board stuff. Okay. Like you were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of Zozo. Of course. 
Okay, well, Darren Evans is the... What's the word I'm looking for? The authority on, okay. on Zozo. Okay? okay, he's the guy who put Zozo on the map. Okay. And him and I have discussed um, Zozo documentaries and stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I talked to him and... When he gets cool footage, you know, he sends it to me. He's like, dissect this, man. You know, before I tell people it's this or that, you know. Tell me oh, if yeah. you can find any flaws. And I started talking to him about Norman. And uh, anyways, I sent him the footage. And uh, he was blown away. And I said, you know what, man? Why don't, why don't you write the afterword for the book? You know, so I've kind of got, you know, Rosemary, who is mm -hmm. so familiar with all this haunted object stuff exactly. and then and you who who is uh very familiar with uh possessed stuff and, and and you know and his his ending to the book was so good because he says when you when you think of norman mm -hmm. you know you think of norman bates you think exactly. there's there's never anything good to come from a norman <laughs> i know it's such an innocuous name until norman bates was invented <laughs> right and, and like i said when when christina and i brought him home and i was like i'm not calling this thing maddie you know and yeah. it was it was basically just because he was an antique right you know exactly because we we collect that kind of stuff and I, I just said, just the name Norman just came out, you know, it was like, cause he's not normal, you and know, he's thing. just not there's, normal there's looking like, to me, you so, know, 70, 80, 90. That's what it's what almost 50 years of existence that who knows right. what happened in and around it to, you know, what history, well, what when, unknown history. When you read the book, we could go another four hours. Oh, I know, back, I know, I know, I know. On the backstory. Let me ask you, did you do, did you, and I guess the reason I bring it up is like, I imagine this is something that would be impossible to find out. You understand? Maybe, may, I don't know if the person you bought it from had it for a long time, or if it was something that ended up with them after going through a number of hands, which is the big question mark, like, you know, what happened in or around this doll that now this is the end product, but people well, are going to have to read the book to find out. The backstory is in there. And okay, it, okay, it, okay. It was, it was discovered, um, and, and the ladies uh, that sold Norman, or, well, Maddie, uh, to us, uh, they're the ones that kind of filled us in on how they acquired Maddie. Oh, okay, and he okay. Had been, he, and he had been sitting in that shop forever oh and there is a very tragic story that goes along with that doll oh. and you know of course i'm thinking this is just a yarn from two old women you know uh -huh. and then of course we start to experience what we start to experience um but the doll was you know i'll go ahead and tell you a little bit of it the, yes. the doll was given um, to a woman who was given birth, and she was to have twins. And when she gave birth, the daughter survived, but the son did not. Oh. And the person who was bringing Maddie as the gift um, gave gave it to the mother. And the daughter, of course, grew up with Maddie the doll. Well, oh, yeah. it 
is either speculated or believed that uh, whether you want to call it the unborn or stillborn brother, her brother um, went into this doll. Oh, God. And then that raised the question, was the doll infantile still to this day? Right. Or because using that Trojan horse Mm -hmm. analogy again, um, did it grow and learn like any other person would? Right. And at the time we acquired it, would have made it a uh, 54-year-old man. Yes. And you know what? I have heard of that theory where they say that in some cases the spirits age proportionately as to in other words, like you said, what might have started out as a child or uh, a stillborn infant, it mm-hmm. was now a 50-something-year-old adult. And well, I have I heard of that theory. <clears throat> I and won't ruin no, the entire origin story. I didn't realize that you had that backstory. But the, uh, the ladies told us that the surviving girl, um, now an adult, obviously, um, basically donated the doll to this antique shop. Right. Um, why she wanted rid of it, I can only imagine. Uh, I ima- exactly. Like, well, it's like when I'm we were talking about very- maybe when you're a kid, you just you go with it, but then as you become an adult, you realize, my doll's not supposed to be doing that. What's going on? That's, yeah. I'm trying very hard to get the... I, I would love to talk to the the daughter you know the the woman who right. gave the doll up and and just hear her story that you know be, hear hear yeah. what she experienced why she got rid of it um i would love to have that for the next book about that norman to go with you know to go with what uh i already have for that next book um well it's like but, but we'll see that is that is so interesting. Stephen, thank you so, so very much for spending this time. The interview has been fantastic. All your stories are so oh, interesting. But this last thing about Norman, oh, I'm telling you, of, of all the things that could get possessed or like you said, the Trojan horse, a doll, which we all think of innocently as a child's toy, that's the one that, I mean, I know there's some people that are scared of it, but I, I myself am not, but I can absolutely see that why that would be chosen as a Trojan horse or in this case, because of the circumstances you described. Wow. Well, it's funny you say that because Rosemary, um, in the opening of my book, that's pretty much what she says, you know, that dolls are often used as vessels because they're so innocent looking and, and so, and they can easily manipulate a child. Yes. You know? Yes. Absolutely. Or in this case where you had a birth, you know, a twin birth, you know, maybe this was one spirit's desire to stay close to its twin. And what better way than this is the best thing they could do was go into that toy. Right. To remain close to the twin. Oh, my God. The possibilities are endless. But I, with bated breath, folks, go pick up this book. I know I am. Again, Stephen, thank you so much. You've been great. You're wonderful. And I wish you the best of luck on all your future projects. And I will be following up. And I would love, and I know know you're really busy, but if you ever uh, do put those, uh, what you filmed with Norman, 
as a documentary. I think that's such a fantastic idea. I would. That's... Well, just just uh, watch watch my website. My yes. website's monstervisiontv.net. Yes. Um, or monstervisiontv.org. Okay. Um, you can watch our doc the documentary we were talking about earlier about mm -hmm. the uh, wine bistro. You can watch it right there for free. Oh, perfect, um, perfect. Anyway, there, I'm going to include all. I'll include the website on the on the uh, on the credits of the show. But again, for the people that are listening to this in podcast, uh, this is where they can go. Uh, as far as and if they want to purchase the books, they're where on Amazon or on your site or. Hey, you can go to Barnes. I walked into a Barnes and Noble in uh, Jacksonville, okay. North Carolina, on Monday, and they were, they it was were there. Sitting Perfect. There. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Again, thank you so very much. You've been wonderful, Stephen. Good luck to you on all your projects. Thank you, ma'am. I, I enjoyed the show. Likewise. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Oh, guys. Yes. <laughs> I know a lot of you are thinking, oh, wow. Let me tell you something. Again, this is one of these paranormal investigators with a lot of years experience. <clears throat> and, you know, I've talked about this before. You know, this is somebody that's been investigating before. They developed all these gazillion million, um, you know, cameras and things to measure every little thing. And that, by the way, is my cockatiel that decides that it wants to talk to me. But anyway... In case you guys are picking up on that I always have a special place in my heart for those researchers who have been around before the advent of the reality shows before the advent of all these contraptions and gadgets where basically you uh, maybe a camera was the most you had uh, maybe filming sometimes psychics uh, there was still a lot of worthwhile stuff that was caught a lot of it, unfortunately, that you couldn't catch. But still, in other words, your perspective is different as far as, um, like he said, despite all the things that now come up, along with it has come the ability to fake stuff. So back then you didn't, believe me, you couldn't. There was just, there was just no way to do it. You spent a lot of money, sometimes developing film because there was no way to do it otherwise, then you were very happy if you caught just one decent photograph but yeah if you think about you know um, and I've said this before you know for the people that the, in other words if if you're one of these people that's on the fence about doing paranormal research but you're not really sure better to do it as a legend tripper than get really heavily involved in it because one of two things one you're gonna go to some type of investigation where it's really boring and you're going to be like this sucks okay or you're going to end up in one of these investigations or in some location where what's really there is intelligent and malevolent like what he described I mean, you know maybe you know what they call that beginner's luck so if you're one of these and i like and i've said before in other shows some some groups now will basically bring along uh, like a potential member. In other words, try it on for size. Not all of them do. Some do. You can do that as well. But I'm telling you, really think, because I wasn't kidding, that part where I say when you come across one of these very sinister and dark investigations, as in, well, not the investigation itself, but whatever is there, 
like he would he described about that plantation that everybody was affected even though they kept going back to it for more you know for what i think he said two years or they all experienced again and i've said this in other shows and i'm glad you know he brought it up when you run across something like this that's really intelligent and manipulative okay if you think that once you leave the site it just stays there and a lot of people and it and by by no means and and i'm not saying you could you could have you could pray you could take protective measures based on your whatever your beliefs are whether religious spiritual whatever saging whatever never uh but a few weeks ago i interviewed another paranormal researcher and author called debbie chestnut and one of the things that debbie described when she came across like a really dark 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 entity that was non-human by the way it's kind of the same thing went to an older house and one of the things she said was and at that time she didn't have that much experience and that's why she she says i didn't realize when i came across it okay what i was dealing with and i kind of knew it but i proceeded anyway and she said some of these entities they take it as when you do not withdraw as acceptance okay and by this i mean that sometimes when you go to these locations even for an investigation once you keep going back because of course you want to further the investigation especially if you've been capturing really interesting stuff they're going to take it as either a challenge or an acceptance of them in trying to invade your space your life invade you spiritually mentally and if you're well protected and you know you you're you're okay you're you know you don't have any broken boundaries in your life and your emotions you're going to experience some stuff but you're going to be okay but again once you see that you can't unsee it and the reason why i'm telling you this is there's some people that come run across this and they're fascinated and they're encouraged even if they're scared and they proceed which is what Stephen is describing. There's a whole bunch of people that it's like, oh my God, I don't want this to be true. Wow. Oh my God. Now I've got things. I, I just heard stuff moving around in my kitchen and I've never had that problem before. Or I'm having really bad nightmares and they don't go away. Or it's like once... You can't withdraw. You can't pretend you don't know it. You can't unknow it. That's what I'm saying, guys. If you're really into doing paranormal research, think good and hard about just being a legend tripper and maybe taking some paranormal tours versus going into this with both feet. Because inevitably, if you stick to it, you're going to run across, to some extent, a location where what's there is very manipulative and for lack of a better word spiritually dangerous if not physically dangerous and once you're in it sometimes you cannot back out as a matter of fact my experience like i said before the weakest link the most vulnerable is the one that they will target so i know there's a lot of people going out there oh i want to do this 
it's there's more to it than just what you see on the reality TV shows. You know that people see it like, oh my God, these people make a living and they're all they're doing is going from location to location, exploring and having these adventures and you know trying to capture evidence. Wow, that's so exciting. But the real world, like he said, really the ones that you see doing the real work, and I've said this in other shows, are the regular paranormal investigators, people you never know about that you don't hear about, these paranormal groups, the ones that I've said that have gelled, that have stayed together, that haven't dissolved, that go out there on the different types of investigations. They go to the ones that it's like, A, there's nothing supernatural here. You just guys got some type of weird stuff going on in your family, and you're trying to put it off on the supernatural or you've got mental illness or whatever and then you, you come across the real stuff some more active than others um those are the ones that really really and and i guarantee you i guarantee you each of those groups <clears throat> especially the members that have been there maybe from the beginning they will all tell you that at some point in time they had this thing affecting them outside of an investigation or outside of the location of where it was. Whether it was temporary or more intrusive to the point that in some cases, which is why I asked them, that they say, I've got to stop investigating for a bit. Whether it's a couple of weeks, a couple of months, sometimes as long as a year or two years, they step back because they realize if I don't, this is going to take over too much of my life. Like he says, you become that magnetism, but there's always a boundary that you can push off from and say no. But I'm telling you, uh, most paranormal researchers that have been around for a while will tell you that there's times that you psychically know, spiritually know, you feel it, and hopefully you pay attention to it where you say, you know what, I'm going to take a sabbatical, <laughs> as in, I'm not going to do any more investigations. And some of them will even go as far as not only will they not engage in active investigations, they don't even want to be brought into consultant stuff. They say, look, I'm going to cut off from everything for six months. I'm not going to look at cases. I don't want to consult on cases. I don't want nothing. I need to totally, totally cut my bonds with the supernatural world for X amount of time. All right. And that's what I'm saying. Supernatural world. You can't give him a, <laughs> you can't give him an injunction. Hey, no trespassing. You can't come. doesn't work that way. Well, anyway, guys, I hope you liked the show. I know I loved it. I love listening to what Stephen had to say. Check out his books. Check out, as a matter of fact, go on his website if you want to see the, the movie that he's got on there now. Plus, hopefully also, if he does do the documentary, that's where it's going to appear as far as notification of it catch me on facebook twitter instagram true believers do not forget to send me in your true ghost stories i look forward to talking to you guys listening to what's up in your supernatural world whatever it may be again uh don't forget that i'm gonna be back every week with a new show and i've got some fantastic wonderful guests coming on that i know you guys are gonna be super 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 excited to to listen to their stories whatever it is that they're involved in the supernatural about so again thank you so very much for being part of my audience you are all wonderful take care